0: We are in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, uh, we've been in this gospel for uh, this whole year, and we will finish sometime around Thanksgiving. Uh, So we actually spent the entire year, uh, one entire year in in Matthew. Uh, We are in Matthew 21. Uh, This is such an incredibly critical moment that is happening in this gospel. Uh, We might say that this is the beginning of the end. Uh, Maybe that's the best way to describe Matthew 21. For 20 chapters now, uh, we have been journeying with Jesus. And Matthew's way of kind of helping us to follow this journey is geographically. He takes us to Bethlehem, uh, to Nazareth. Uh, throughout Galilee and Capernaum and watching Jesus' encounter uh, with with the people that are there. We went into the Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon, uh, back up to Jericho, into Judea, watching him preach and teach and heal and disciple and to make a powerful impact. He is the incarnation. He is the Son of God born to walk among us, and we've been watching him learning from him. Now, for the very first time in Matthew's gospel, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Matthew 21 gives us this record of the last week of Jesus's life. So for three years, Jesus has been ministering to the people and to us, and now he enters into the holy city of Jerusalem. Uh, It would be difficult to exaggerate the significance of the events that are about to transpire in the remainder of the gospel. Did you hear what I said? We spent 20 chapters on the birth of Jesus up to these three years that he's been in ministry. Now, 21 to 28 is the last eight days. That makes it pretty significant, doesn't it? Eight, all these chapters from 21 to 28... Eight days that transform the world. If you want bookends for the eight days, the beginning of the eight days is Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We're going to see that today. All the way to the resurrection morning, uh, eight days later on Sunday morning of Easter, um, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. There's a few things added uh, after that, um, his ascension, uh, the um, great commission that he gives to us. But basically, that's right there at the very end uh, of this gospel. So you can get a real feel for what Matthew is thinking and how he presents all this to us. Um, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Uh, on Palm Sunday, he cleanses the temple. He challenges the religious leaders. There's a lot of discussion about some of the teaching between the two of them in these next few chapters. He gives us the, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. He gets arrested. He's tried. He's crucified. And then he is raised from the dead. This is the week that all creation has been waiting for. This is the week that your soul cries out to know and to understand. So over a quarter of Matthew's gospel is devoted these last eight days. And here in chapter 21, Jesus presents himself as the king, the Messiah, who would save his people from their sins. You remember that this is Matthew's theme. This is what he's been working on. We might, uh, instead of using the word king, uh, we've been talking about it in terms of Jesus being the center. Jesus being, you um, you know, kings that we have today, I'm not sure that any... People necessarily choose them. Many times you're made to serve the king in some country, somewhere. Uh, or maybe they are symbolic uh, kings, but not, not for us. Uh, we recognize the opportunity that we have, like we just sang about, that we accept him. We receive him uh, for who he is. But not simply as a king for the Jews only. This is a saving rule of the Lord Jesus that extends to the whole world. So you and I, we are part of the process that's happening, for we are called to submit every part of our lives to his rule and his reign. I sound pretty excited. I can't tell if you are or not. (laughs) It's amazing who he is and how God, through his word, has chosen to reveal to you the plan of God through Jesus Christ. How you could be forgiven how you could be saved. If you know that already, and that's true for so many of you. Oh man, your heart just I'm sure your heart's beating thinking about this king that we get to talk about. We are called to make Jesus the center of our lives, and Christ is worthy of our adoration. Amen. Christ is worthy of our adoration and our abandonment, abandonment of ourselves. So we we see it here. The king Has come. Jesus has arrived. He is here. He is moving into Jerusalem. And these are the moments that he came to bring to us. How will we respond to his coming? This chapter is broken down. There are multiple parts here. I want to kind of give you an overview of it. And then uh, I'll read a section to you. And then we'll talk about it. Uh, The breakdown of Matthew 21 is first. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. As our king, 21, 1 through 11, that's the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Secondly, Jesus comes to and cleanses the temple. Matthew 21, 12 through 17. We'll see that. Jesus curses a fig tree in 21, 18 to 22. Uh, The authority of Jesus is questioned in the fourth section, 21, 23 to 27, as the Pharisees and many of the people uh, come against him. And finally, Jesus responds with two parables, two sons uh, and the tenants are the title of those, of those parables. It'll be probably next week at the beginning when he does a parable in 22 as well, that we'll see those parables together. Um, So here's, Here's the scripture. Uh, it's, uh, it's so astounding uh, to see what he has to, uh, to say to us. So we're going to hear together Matthew 21 verses 1 through 23. Uh, I'd love for you to stand uh, while we read this together. All right, just a little heads up. Uh, there is a section in this scripture where the crowd speaks out. You remember that part where the crowd is yelling when he comes into Palm Sunday? If you look ahead, that scripture is in bold print, and it says, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All right, we're going to be the crowd today, all right? Uh, So those are are our lines right there. I'm going to read the rest of it for you. When we get there, you be the crowd. Uh, Let's celebrate him, all right? Uh, Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth- Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never heard from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city. He was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt. Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Finally, Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? May God bless his word to us today. You can be seated. All right, your king, the, the scripture says, your king has come. Your king is coming. Uh, do you know him? Have you met him? Have you received him? Is your life Jesus-centered? Is he the controlling influence uh, in your life? He is the king that has come for us. So I want us to kind of walk through this passage. Um, I got a bunch of he is the Phrases there. And so we're talking about Jesus and his role as as King. So number one, first Jesus is He is the divine King. He is the Divine King. The glory of the Lord has come through the incarnation of Jesus. Incarnation means that He showed up and lived among us. Uh, this divinely ordained moment on Palm Sunday where uh, there's a, a donkey and a colt would be there at a certain time for a certain purpose. If the disciples are asked why these animals uh, are to be used or taken, they respond, the Lord needs them. Uh, to, the idea of the word Lord here is not a word like, uh, like a landlord. It's not a word that refers to somebody that you pay rent to. Or somebody that would be, give oversight to some property. You know, he's talking about Lord in terms of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is talking about being the Lord of all. Uh, Matthew points, points it out to us, reminding us that Jesus is not just your personal pastor. He's not just uh, a minister or a rabbi or a good teacher. He is uh, the Lord of all. Do you know that Jesus is Lord of all? He's the king of the Jews, he's the king of Israel, he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of all the ages, he is the king of glory. The Bible says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. That's Matthew's king. David says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-reaching telescope can give us visibility of his resource and supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is everlasting. He is everlastingly strong. He is sincere and steadfast. He's immortally graceful and powerful, filled with mercy. That's our king. He is the one that is sent from God, God's son, the sinner's savior, uh, the one who stands alone in himself. Can't you feel it? He is majestic. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He's supreme. He is the loftiest idea of scripture. That's the king we're talking about. This divine king sent from God. He's the miracle of all time. He's the superlative over everything good that you could call good. He's the only one that is able to supply your needs. All of us simultaneously throughout the world. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available to the tempted and the tried. He's Sympathizes. He's compassionate. He saves. He guards. He's. He guides us. He heals the sick. He cleans the leper. He forgave the sinner. He lifts our debt. He delivers the captive. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and the faithful. Do you know him? This is our King, the one that is sent. That ma- he is the. He is all wisdom. He is the doorway to deliverance. He is the pathway to your peace. He is filled with glory. I mean, he's. mighty. He's a conqueror. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of peace. Again, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. Is that your king? That's who he is. His promises are absolutely sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's indescribable. I'm trying to describe him, but he's indescribable. (laughs) He's invincible. He's irresistible. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Let let even a man try to explain him. I mean, you can't get him out of your mind once you know him. Once you know about him, you can't get away from him. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't contain him. And the grave could not hold him. That is our king. He's always been. He always will be. He had no predecessor. He had no successor. There's nobody before him, nobody after him. He is the divine son of God, and he is our king. Praise his name. Woo. God bless me. Number two. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're with me. He is the prophesied king. He is the glory of God sent to us as this one prophesied. Now, chapter, verses four and five give us this Quote from Zechariah nine nine. Uh, I'm going to read you the whole scripture. There's a it, it quotes one sentence of it. I want you to hear the whole thing. Zechariah nine nine says, "Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." Now Jerusalem was referred to in the Bible as Zion. Have you heard that? I mean, if you've been around the church a long time, all these songs we used to sing about Zion. And if you're a kid, you wonder, what in the world are we talking about? Well, what's happening there is that the most prominent hillside in, around Jerusalem was Zion. And so the um, Zechariah is prophesying to God's people that after they've come back from the exile and the, ter- the troubles that they've been in, they've been brought back, and now there's a group of Israelites that are back in Jerusalem. They're hoping to rebuild the temple, to reestablish the city. It's a time of joy, even in the midst of struggle, and God's people had repeatedly seen failed kings over and over again. We know about that, don't we? You know, you put your hope in some kind of political leader and they'll let you down just about every time. Probably every time, right? It's just a man. It's just a woman uh, that is serving. So Zechariah is saying, oh, yes, many failed kings, but there is one uh, who is coming. The one that is prophesied. And so he says he's going to arrive and we're going to have this fulfillment. Do you know this was written 500 years before Jesus Before he came, 500 years before that riding on a donkey. Here it's this prophesied from Zechariah that this colt, this donkey would be available and that it would happen the week of Passover and that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. I mean, you don't write a script like that for yourself. I'm sure none of you wrote something that's going to happen 500 years from now. You don't have no idea. Uh, Jesus not only, he stands there as this divine king, but he's the prophesied king, the one that is sent for us. Number three. He is divine, he is prophesied, he is the righteous king, the righteous king. The, the passage I read to you from Zachariah says he is righteous and victorious. Unlike other kings, unlike human uh, leaders, he is righteous. He is righteous before God. He comes in righteousness. He comes to help us. He comes to lead us. He comes to show us the way that we can find righteousness and forgiveness in ourselves. He's the divine king. He's the prophesied king. He's the righteous king, number four. He is the Savior King. He is the Savior King. That, that's why the crowd shouted, uh, Hosanna. Remember we said it? Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he, comes in the name Hosanna. Why do they say Hosanna? Hosanna means, Lord, save now. Lord, save Now. So they're proclaiming this recognition that uh, he is the Savior King, the one that will come and bring salvation. They're saying, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us salvation. He who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, the timing of this moment, this first of these eight days, is so crucial. It's Passover week. It's a time when uh, the whole population of Jerusalem uh, flows, swells up five or six times uh, its usual size. People are coming to celebrate the Feast of Remembrance, the feast that reminded them of the time when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and you remember how they put the blood over the door, and the Passover lamb uh, was was given to for their salvation and the the freeing from the Exodus. And now they are recognizing there's a new and greater Exodus that is now coming uh, through the cross, coming into Jerusalem on Passover week. No coincidence. Jesus is the the Savior king. Number five, Jesus is the gentle king bringing peace. The gentle king bringing peace. Jesus did not come arrogantly. Jesus did not come with his his own uh, self-promotion. He came in humility, so different than other earthly leaders. He was meek, Isaiah tells us that. Matthew 5, 5 tells us. Most people, uh, you know, today we, we, we think about a concept of a king, uh, a monarch, maybe a symbolic or, you know, maybe even celebrity. You know, we, Jesus is not celebrity like we look at it today. Jesus comes in humility. I mean, he's the strongest, most powerful in all of the universe, right? And he's sitting on a donkey. You wouldn't even sit on a donkey. When Kim Kim was looking at all this, she said, Man, today's sermon sounds like the passion play. And I thought we could have that donkey come running right down through here. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus rides in uh, on on the donkey. Uh, Such, you know, a king that would... You would think with reverence and coronation and riding on the back of a of a big white powerful horse, uh, but he's he's on the donkey. He's surrounded by lowly Galileans, and he came into the city uh, not with riches but with poverty. In majesty, but in meekness, humbly, mounted on a donkey. And Zechariah's prophecy tells us that he comes gently bringing peace, bringing peace. So he's, you know, a, a real king, I mean, a king, a, a human king would uh, maybe ride in on a powerful horse if it was wartime, but sometimes they would ride on the back of a donkey if they were trying to, to bring peace. Now, I'm so happy that, that Christ came to bring us peace because if, if it wasn't for him, we'd have nothing right? I mean, just think about all the situations, maybe that you're in right now, certainly the situations you faced in your life, and he comes to bring peace. Um, So grateful for that. There's nothing like the peace that comes from the king, the one that's in charge, the one that my life is centered on, the peace he brings. I was thinking about that, and I, I noticed that he doesn't put me in a headlock and force me to take peace. You know, he waits on me. A couple of verses I was thinking about. Um, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You hear that rule right there? That, that's king words, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Think about another verse from John 14.1. You're familiar with it. It says, let not your heart be troubled. I like those verses, don't you? We always talk about the, the the peace part of it or the rule in that first verse or not having your heart troubled. You know what got me? I got stuck on the word let. Both verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Let the peace of grace. You know what let means? Let means allow. Let means welcome. Let means I'm, I'm making a choice. Do you realize? That this king who has come to bring peace is waiting on you to receive it, to allow it, to let it, if you like. Are you touched by that? It just reminded me that that we have a role. He's not just pouring out peace on us. He's waiting for us to receive it. He is the king and he has come to bring you his peace. Let it. Allow it receive it welcome it be open to it allow your heart to receive it because he's the king and he promised that he would bring you peace do you need peace today i know we're just kind of halfway through but uh, do you do you need his peace as we go through this service today as we take communion in a few moments commune with him talk to him don't walk out of here with the same pressure on your chest and the same struggle in your mind that you walked in because the king has arrived. Gentle and bringing peace. Let his peace be in your heart. One, two, three, four, five, six. Number six. He is, these things that we've spoken of, and he is the global king. He is the global king. John 3.16 says, For God so loved Pekin. That, no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say God so loved New York City. It doesn't say that either. It says, For God so loved the world. The whole world. every uh, Simultaneously, all at the same time, people that you don't even know that you'll never meet. All races, all people. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his one and only son. That not one of us would have to perish, but everyone receive eternal life. That's our king. He is global king, offering himself for everyone in the world. Jesus rules over every leader, every king, every president, every person. Salvation provided and accomplished as we receive it as the good news for all people. What a blessing. Now. What a moment this is as he comes in Jerusalem. This divine king, prophesied, uh, righteous, savior, gentle king that is for the whole world around us, a global king. Next, he is the Messiah king. He is the Messiah king. We go back to those words that the crowd spoke. The, the crowd is yelling out, Hosanna to the Son of David, we said, right? says it in the third one as well. Uh, Son of David. He's been saying that since Matthew 1.1. Right at the beginning, he reminds us that this Christ is the Messiah, the one that's been anticipated. He's appearing in the genealogy. He's the promised Messiah that has come. He is the king who would come from the line of David. And the crowds are shouting out, Messiah, save us. Hosanna, the Messiah has come. Save us. These crowds may not have known how Jesus was going to bring about salvation. Um, Presumably no one did. Even the disciples, they couldn't get it. He's telling them, I'm going to die and on the third day be raised. But they couldn't handle it. They couldn't get it. So nobody really even knows how he's going to accomplish. But the Messiah has come to save his people from their sins by the shedding of blood on our behalf. Broken body, shed blood, Passover week, today still applies. Communion with him. Matthew's gospel realizes that the death and the resurrection of Jesus becomes this salvation moment where the king's uh, desire for us is revealed on a cross and an empty tomb. Divine King, prophesied King, righteous King, Savior King, gentle King, bringing peace, global King, Messiah King. He is the authoritative King. He is the King that is filled with authority. We see that um, as he walks into the temple. Right, he comes in and he begins to say that he he has authority over um, over all of that is happening there. He goes in and these. Disciples and uh, the, of the other leaders that are there, so are, uh, the Bible says that they were indignant because of what the children were saying. Aren't you, aren't you glad? <laughs> the children were proclaiming it, not just the crowds, but they're saying, uh, Hosanna, blessed is the one who has come. And Jesus responds to them, you, you have heard it in the scripture, the truth that would come out of the mouths of children and infants. Sometimes we say it like out of the mouths of babes. And that's exactly, exactly what Jesus said. Uh, How magnificent is your name, the scripture says. So Jesus is deliberately accepting the praise that is his, that is due for him. He comes in taking charge of the temple, that he's the Lord. Uh, he is come and showing his authority, his, his ability, his power. He also shows his authority over uh, the fig tree. Uh, when he speaks to the fig tree, it gives his uh, recognition of his authority over creation. Um, Mark and Luke also tells us this story, uh, reminding us of the fig tree and what he's trying to say there. He's remi- encouraging us, helping us to understand that what he saw in the temple and what he saw of the fig tree were exactly the same. You know why, you know why he cursed the fig tree? I don't, I don't think it was just that, uh, uh, that he was trying to show his power. He's demonstrating that what he saw in the temple was people that had turned the house of God into robbery. And it wasn't focused on the things that it should have been focused on. And that fig tree, he curses that fig tree because he saw a bunch of green leaves. It looked so good, but it didn't have any fruit on it. He's demonstrating to them. We can't be a church like that. You know, we're Church of the King, right? I mean, this place belongs to him. He's in charge. We, we pray to him about everything that we do. I mean, I'm sure some people probably think we overpray. I don't know how you could do that. But we pray about everything. Um, seeking God. I mean, we've been praying about Dragonland. I mean, trying to figure out what to do about that, you know. And <laughs> we'll get, we pray about everything because he's the king. He's in charge. Do you pray about everything? I mean, you've got to, you've got to give everything to him. He he's hopes that we would turn our hearts. See, he's looking at the church, the temple that he goes into. And he sees that they've got their focus all messed up. You know, churches get messed up sometimes, don't they? People get all messed up. We get our mind, our agenda going in the wrong direction. You know, let's not be that, right? I mean, I say it all the time: staff meeting, board meetings, everywhere we live, we. I don't, I don't want to. Whatever's going on out there in the world with the church that's all messed up sometimes. I don't want to be that, right? Let's agree on it, right? Let's. I Always say, "Let's shake on it." He'll represent you right here. You shake on it, right? Yes, sir. He's in my Bible study. I know how much I love him. So, yeah, we can't be that. You know, we we got to find ways to to love each other, be together, and accomplish the will of God in this community, in this county, and where God has called us to serve. Um, you know, so uh, I don't I don't get to I don't get to be in charge. I know some of you think I am. Some she calls me Grand Pooh or something all the time, and I always say. Psh- I know, I know who the king is, and he's in charge of us, and he's guiding us. So we recognize that he's, he's the one in charge. Uh, he is the one in authority. Uh, a couple other ones, he is, this king is uh, the prayer answering, excuse me, the compassionate king. Notice in this this scripture, when he goes into the temple, before he cleanses the temple, he heals a bunch of people right there. You notice that? Goes in, he heals the lame and the sick and those uh, that are hurting. He's reminding us, even in this moment, grand entrance into the temple, cleansing the temple, having great authority. All he can think about is that these people are sick and they're hurting. You know, that's why the Bible tells us when you get to heaven, no more crying, no more tears, no disease. no There's not going to be any of that. All that stuff is going to be gone, uh, because he is a compassionate king uh, that, takes, that uh, takes it all away from us. He's a compassionate king. Uh, next, uh, he is the prayer answering king. Notice this king that comes, he is the one, he says, pray and you can move mountains and whatever you ask for in my name will be accomplished. That's our king. That's his word to us. He says, pray and seek him. He is the one that is in authority. We give him the authority, and then he answers our prayers, opens our heart to uh, responding to our prayers. He's compassionate. He's authoritative. He's prayer answering. Uh, Next to last one there, he is the rejected king. Throughout the rest of this chapter, uh, 23 through 46, is all about the questions of Jesus' authority. You know, there are questions that are based on unbelief. There are questions that come from misplaced fears and struggle. Uh, Some of the people he's dealing with are power-hungry and prideful. Some are worldly and wannabes. But we see this rejection of him. You know, he doesn't, I said this earlier, he doesn't make you praise him. Nobody made you get up and come this morning. You know, I don't know if it'll ever get like that. I hope not. You know, we don't live in, in persecution, but we don't, we don't live in a place where they make people come to. Sometimes you might like that. You know, you just want to give them a little hidden. Nobody made you come. You came because you've chosen not to reject him, but to receive him. Uh, he is the king. So the last one is he is my king. He is my king. Would you say that? He is my king. He's, he is your king and uh, he's helping us to recognize. So the question for all of us is, um, who is Jesus to you? Uh, is he a celebrity king or is he your personal savior, your king? Would you dare abandon your life to this king, the king of kings, the coming king? You know, he came once. And he showed up on Palm Sunday, but he's coming back. He won't be on a donkey the next time. He will come in glory to receive his children. So what do we do? We give him praise. We gladly surrender to our king today. We praise him. We celebrate him. How's uh, how's your praise uh, in your life? Is your praise showing up in your language in your life? I'm not just talking about singing with the band. That's, That's just modeling, right? See, we sing up here on Sunday so that we can now respond to God the rest of the week. How, is your praise in your language or is it in all, you know, once in a while I hear somebody just kind of complaining and going on about this or that. And many times I'm sitting there listening and I'm thinking, man, God's done a lot for them. You know, I know about this and I know about that. And sometimes you just want to say, shut up, <laughs> right? You identify, right? <laughs> no, man, we got to give him praise. We got to hold our tongues and think about all that he has done for us and allow our lives to be an expression of praise to our God. Second thing we can do is pray. We need to be, have a, the priority of prayer. We're going to take communion in a minute, but I want you to think, you know, why do we call it communion? Because God wants us to be in communion with him. Not just eating bread and juice once in a while. We understand what that is. But he wants us to be in continual, daily communion with God. Is, is that how you pray? Is that how you live your life? I still meet people that say, Oh, I don't know how to pray. Well, we need to work on that because you just need to talk to him just like you talk to your best friend, because that's who he is. He's the king. And he wants to talk to you. And he wants to hear what's on your heart. So let us give him praise. Let us make prayer a daily priority, continually seeking this king. Let us bear fruit. Let's not be like the fig tree. Let's bear fruit. Our king desires and deserves more than surface and hollow worship. If all you do is think about God and think about Christ and think about him being the king on a Sunday, then you're totally missing what he's calling you to do and to be. He wants you to be his representative, bearing fruit out in the world around you, wherever you go, whoever you're with, all the time, because Jesus is the center. He's the center. He's the focal point of everything about your life. Last, let us have faith in his church. The king can and will do the impossible. He longs for us to draw near to him. So we're going to have communion. You guys that are going to serve, you can come right ahead. Get us ready for that. Uh, communion um, is for anybody that has accepted Christ. And if you have not fully accepted Christ in your life or you're wondering about that today, I'm going to pray a prayer just in a minute for these elements. And I would love for you to accept Christ today and realize that we've got a seat at the table for you. Because it's not our table. It's his table. And he promises that if you will seek him this morning, he will bless you, he will uh, save you, he will respond to your Hosanna. Uh, Lord, save us now. These elements are just simple bread and juice. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, offered bread and juice to his disciples in remembrance of his broken body that was coming. But now we recognize it's the cross of Christ and the blood that was shed. On our behalf. So let's pray and anoint these elements. And then I hope that you would just hold them. And we're going to sing this little song together because it not only talks about our forgiveness, but it talks about uh, He is our King. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your spirit in this room today. Lord, we wanted to be that crowd celebrating you coming there on Palm Sunday. But Lord, we, we've seen the whole eight days and we know you're going to a cross and we know you're going to be beaten and suffered. Your body's going to be broken, nailed to a cross. Your blood is going to be shed. You're going to die. They're going to put you in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, you rose from the grave alive. Thomas put his hands into your hands and inside. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. And we long to be in greater communion with you as our king. So bless these elements. Remind us of your death. Remind us of your life. And remind us that you are my king. In Jesus' name, please serve us. I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, oh, I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit lives within me, because you died and rose again sing that again. I'm forgiven, because you were forsaken. Oh, I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me. Because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you, in all I do, I honor you, sing it in your heart, I'm forgiven, because you were forsaken, that you, my king, would die for me, amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you, in all I do, I Say it to him now. You are my king. You are my king. Say his name. Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you. Sing, you are king again. Sing, you are king. You are my King, you are my King, Jesus, you are my King, Jesus, you... Let's stand together, sing it, Amazing Love. Amazing love, how can it be That you, my King, would die for me? Oh, 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 amazing love, I know it's true And it's my joy to honor you in all I do, I honor Say it again. Is that true? In all I do, I honor you. Jesus invited us to this table uh, to come together as often as we would and to share together a small piece of bread that would represent and remind us of the broken body of Jesus. Jesus died for you. He gave his life so that you could be saved. So together today, we eat this bread as a reminder that we know he's our king and he gave his life for you. Let's eat together. Hmm. This juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on your behalf he really died. He really gave his life for you. And he said his blood covering us would give us life. He was, he was resurrected from the dead. Thank God he resurrected me from the dead. How about you? Right out of our sin, right out of our brokenness and gave us his blood so that we could have life. So we drink today in remembrance that Jesus gave his life for us and we come very, very thankful. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you for these moments together. Lord, I pray that what happened in this room today would would pour over into our daily lives. Be with us as we continue to walk with you. Help us to commune with you daily. That our lives will be filled with praise to the king, prayer to the king, bearing fruit to the king, and living a life of faith based all on you as the center of our life. You are our king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.